Welcome to the Development Policy Centre podcast. In this plenary session from the 2018 PNG update, you will hear from Mr Ian Ling Stuckey, Shadow Minister for Treasury and Finance on PNG's economy. Following this, researchers from the University of Papua New Guinea and the Australian National University will present their findings from the 2018 PNG Economic Survey. Keep listening to learn more. We'll start the next session now. The next session, the second session, it's a second plenary session. It's on economic developments. It's going to be very interesting. The previous session is about from the government side. Now it's from the opposition. We are going to see, see a balance now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there are two, two groups of people. Of course, uh, we have uh, our Honorable Ian Ling Stucky, the shadow Minister for Treasury and Finance of Government of Papua New Guinea. Sir, please sir, take your seat. Honorable Ian Ling Stucky is a member of KVM. He is elected for the third time. That's a, that shows us his uh, contribution to his people. Is a, currently a shadow treasurer. Is a graduate from uh, Griffith University, and he was telling, he's a, a bachelor of science student in Griffith University with a double major with ma in mathematics, applied mathematics and uh, land use planning. I was really amazing to see. Probably there is some speciality in the land. KV Young, our vice chancellor is from uh, KV Young. He's also specialist in mathematics and statistics. So he's also, <laughs> yeah, uh, mathematics. <laughs> uh, another interesting news, his father was a graduate of this university in 1970s. And he's from a very renowned family of uh, business people. They started a business in 1937 in uh, KVM, uh, the family business. And he was the chairman of the Monium Limited. Let us welcome. Uh, the Shadow Treasurer, please introduce. We also will welcome the other team, team, which is going to make a presentation on PNG Economic Survey 2017 and 2018. Uh, Professor Stephen House, of course, please come to the dance. Okay, okay. I'll uh, announce the name, Professor Stephen House, Mr. Rohan Fox, both are ANU. Then Mr. Nelson Neymar, lecturer from UPNG, our lecturer. Mr. Dex Sam, our visiting lecturer from uh, ANU, is uh, teaching our economics program. And Dr. Bao Naujin is a visiting, visiting lecturer of ANU to UPNG. We'll start with uh, our Honorable uh, Ian Ling Stucky, the Shadow Minister. Sir, you are welcome to take over. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you and good morning, everyone. It's nice to be back here on campus. I say it's nice to be back because my last visit here was in 1971. <laughs> I was in grade six then and my, my daddy, uh, his name was Peter Stuckey, 
It was a proud New South Welshman uh, from Sydney. Uh, he used to take me here on a Friday night. Uh, we used to watch movies here. And there used to be two types of movies in those days. Uh, movies about the Kokoda Trail during the Second World War and movies about Roy Rogers. Um, most of you probably won't know who Roy Rogers was. He was a cowboy. He wasn't a PNG politician. But these days, you know, sometimes it's hard to disseminate between the two. Anyway, we'll get started. Acting Vice Chancellor Malaybe, Professors Lakshmi Pillai and Stephen Howes, Leader of the Opposition. Thank you for coming, Honourable Patrick Wright. And for the pleasure, um, other distinguished guests. Um, some of my other parliament colleagues that I saw here earlier are students of PNG. Students of PNG, and of course other colleagues. You know, it's quite an honor to be here today. Being at this UPNG annual update gives me some hope. As the shadow treasurer, I stand in front of you, our country's future leaders, to present an alternative point of view to the treasurer's earlier presentation. For this is the essence of something vital for our future. To be able to back up arguments with facts, reasoning and evidence to allow for constructive criticism. This is a defining feature of a democracy. In our world here, my fear is that there is a retreat from these ideas of free, open and respectful discussion. So I congratulate the organizers of this conference for encouraging discussion and debate. In this presentation, I want to cover a fair bit of town, so I'll need to move through the following issues quickly. So a short introduction about myself, one, a historic context, some comments on, on APEC, then an examination of three crises facing PNG today, and some solutions. Some quick background about myself first, in addition to um, what has been said. Uh, firstly, I'm not an economist. Um, yes, I'm a Bachelor of Science. I um, double majored in applied mathematics and land use planning because I thought that I might become a teacher like my daddy. Um, but I returned home and I entered the family business, so I became a business person. And then I morphed into a politician. Um, it's a bit of a funny background. So if you ask me some hard technical questions, you know, I'm really going to have to ask Professor House to, uh, to help me out, okay? <laughs> I guess it's a privilege of being a politician. Uh, rather, the perspective that I bring to the role of Shadow Treasurer 
is the pragmatic view of a business person. I'm quite proud that my family has been operating successful businesses in Papua New Guinea for over 18 years, as was previously said since 1937. My grandmother started our business. She rented a store from a Chinaman called Chin Hin. Most of you won't know him. He was the bigger brother of another Chinaman called Chin Hin. You won't know him either. <laughs> but Chin Hin had a son. His name was Julius Chan. And I think some of you might remember. <laughs> Running a business means that you must have a strong vision for what you can offer. It means being realistic and pragmatic in translating your vision to practical implementation. It means being honest. If there are problems, and then doing sensible things to fix them, I will bring some of these business perspectives into my presentation. In addition to being a business person, well, I'm now a politician. Third time around. Currently representing my people from the Canadian Electric. <coughs> I understand the importance of roads, schools and aid posts, even water tanks, to provide reliable drinking water. This is my third five-year term in Parliament. I've been a minister for mining, public service, commerce and industry, as well as the former governor for New Ireland. So I hope I have a perspective from the national to the provincial and district levels all the way down to the village level. And I will reflect on my own views on, on how things are going now relative to previous decades, if I may. So let me put my presentation in historic context of our development experience since independence. This helps us better understand our current challenges and the urgency for changing from current policies. I remember well the well joyous days when independence came to our country. I was in grade nine at boarding school in Brisbane. There was a mixture of both joy as well as fear of the unknown as independence came while I was still at school. As I reflect on our development experience, one can understand the disappointment of our people. In terms of both social and economic development, we have not done anywhere near as well as we hoped. This slide covers some 10 social indicators. On most criteria, as you can see, we are either at or towards the bottom of most social indicators. Poverty, stunting, malnutrition, infant and paternal mortality, diseases and basic services. As a national politician in this country, I look back on this record and collectively regret to admit we've let our people down. The first step for changing this poor performance is to acknowledge it. We cannot pretend that things are good and rosy when they are not. This slide now covers broad economic performance since 1980. This performance is based on measuring real non-resource GDP per capita. The non-resource sector, of course, is our focus as this is where almost all of our economic welfare comes from. Most of you know that, for almost all of our people. 
This slide shows the terrible drop in average economic welfare in our country. It reinforces and partially explains our poor performance on social indicators. The bottom line is that economic welfare has gone backwards by some 40% or over a third since independence. On average, every person alive in PNG is more than one third worse off, yes, than in 1980. This is very disappointing economic performance. You will see from the graph that there was a period of turnaround during the 2000s. Being just a, a bit political, I know that this period was under a National Alliance government, building on the reforms of former Prime Minister Moralta. However, this upward trend has now been lost. We are going backwards again into capital terms. Unfortunately, the people of PNG have not been told how badly things have been going in recent years. There has been a regular pattern of either not providing information or of putting a rosy set of colored glasses over possible numbers. The name faith will rise again. In contrast, the resource sector has done well. It has increased by over 100% per capita. But PNG is a highly dualistic economy. So, what is good for the resource sector may not translate to what is good for the rest of the economy on which our people's livelihood depends. The most recent experience of the PNG LNG project highlights a possible adverse policy cycle loop between big resource projects and the rest of the country. While still assessing the full details of the recent Jubilee Australia report on the PNG LNG project, there does seem to be some, some logic here. While the non-resource economy did well during the construction phase, growth is now at very disappointing levels. Even official government figures project growth rates of some 2.5% per annum. Well, this is pitiful and less than population growth. So how is this possible? How is this possible? Such a project should help the economy along. And of course, there are hundreds of examples of benefits from the PNG LNG project. Whether it be local jobs, more local jobs than initially expected, or the help that Oil Search provides to the Tari Hospital, or the contracts that are provided to local contractors, especially landowner companies. But the big picture perspective is that non-resource economy is now performing worse than it was before the PNG LNG project. Why is this so? The likely explanation is that PNG has fallen into what is known as the resource curse, yet again. So despite what should be the great gains of natural resource wealth, the experience in PNG and many other countries is such wealth makes for poor economic outcomes. Some of these resource curse distortions flow from the exchange rate. 
It becomes overvalued and hurts other trading sectors, such as agriculture and manufacturing. Some of the distortions result from what the IMF calls the pre-source curse. Poor budget policy of rapidly increasing expenditure on false revenue assumptions. Encouraged by some resource companies in their promises. PHS has had its worst experience since independence of irresponsible budget policy with budgeted expenditure increasing by an extraordinary 50% over 2013 and 2014 budgets and a subsequent huge build-up in debt. 8 billion Kina in 2012, five years later, 24 billion in 2017. Think about it. For the first 37 years, after independence, 1975, our country built up debt over many governments to 5 billion Kina. And in five short years, we tripled that debt. We'll touch on the interest component later. But there are also more subtle impacts of the resource curse. Skilled resources are attracted to the resource sector. The concentration of large profits increases the risk of corruption. My concern, reflecting on my experiences starting from 1997, and the concern of the alternative government, is that these corruption pressures are becoming worse. Too much focus is given to the resource sector. The political party become securing the next resource project. For example, the Prime Minister recently announced the PNG negotiating team for the new Papua LNG project, which includes very senior civil servants, such as the heads of Treasury, Prime Minister and NEC, along with relevant heads of resource agencies. Where is there a similar committee that meets regularly to consider how to improve, for example, the agriculture sector? The key for the livelihoods, as you all know, most of our people. Good government means staying always focused on those areas that are most important for our people and ultimately that must come back to supporting, well, our agriculture sector. As the theme of this conference is around APEC, some quick comments. The alternative government believes that we must try and get the best out of the opportunities of APEC. As Mr. Lepardi highlighted this morning, there are real possibilities for showcasing our country. We are very willing to work with the government to get the most out of this, well, very expensive meeting. And this is an issue. APEC will be a very, very expensive meeting, both in terms of actual expense to PNG and other donors, but also in terms of being a major distraction to other policy priorities. Most of us are not aware of that. One warning is, beware of false promises. This slide shows some false promises around the South Pacific Games. Now, I'm a supporter of such games, 
And I'm proud that I was able to win three gold medals for our country in the 1983 and 1987 South Pacific Games. But the costs of the most recent games were, well, way over the top. I think most would agree. And we are still waiting for some of the buildings to be completed. We must be realistic in our expectations. There is also the hypocrisy of our hosting a meeting which has its focus on building trade and investment links between countries, while PNG introduced over 900 tariff increases. We are becoming less open to trade in both a policy sense as well as in reality because of the foreign exchange shortages. The real issue for PNG and ADAC is what else could we have done instead? APEC may be a positive for this country, for our country, and we hope it is. But the real cost of APEC means a lack of focus on other areas to advance our people's well-being. I have no doubt that visiting APEC delegations will be enormously impressed with PNG, and I hope they are, and what it has to offer. But we need the policies in place to translate this opportunity into reality. Unfortunately, PNG does not have the right policies in place to encourage investment. So, what policies are needed to encourage investment and tap into the opportunities of Asia? Fundamentally, we need policies that can lift PNG's growth in non-resource GDP to at least 5% per annum. This is the minimum required to start getting jobs growth going again and to boost government revenues to help meet our urgent development needs. Even a 5% real non-resource GDP target is only a small level above our population growth rate of 3.1% a level that is too high and should be reduced to more sustainable levels. This will be a long track. So as indicated by the dashed red line, it will take about 30 years just to get back to the level we had in 1980, to recover from having gone backwards by a third. Possibly we should set our sights even higher, but as a pragmatic business person, given our recent history, we should start the war, well, before we can run. So how are we doing? How are we doing? We have heard one view this morning that there are economic challenges driven primarily by the falling commodity prices and a few other arguments. The argument was that things are now being done to fix things and despite low growth projections of only two to three percent for the next few years, there was a possible boom ahead following the APEC meeting and the new resource projects. We hear it all the time. My message is a much more cautious one. Things in PNG have not been going well. We don't know how bad things are because key pieces of information are being suppressed or we have simply stopped measuring certain inconvenient facts. Talk of a super cycle for new projects 
raises the risk again of yet another boom-bust cycle and falling further into the resource curse. This slide, this slide highlights some of the current problems. Three years out from the fall in commodity prices, we are still struggling. At some time, and, and this should have been about two years ago, the government should have stopped blaming the fall in commodity prices or the drought. Remedies have taken too long and our people just continue to suffer. How are we viewed externally? That's a really important question. In March and April, so after the 100-day plan, after the 2018 budget, and after the early release of the 2017 FBO, Final Budget Outcome, two international credit ratings that survey our economy have either downgraded PNG's credit rating or put us on negative watch. This has never happened before. People looking from the outside are looking through budget numbers and saying things are not going well. And they don't trust the current government's so-called fixes. Our required actions to get growth going again and to make the best of the opportunities of the APEC can be found in recent surveys about what makes it hard to do business in PNG. According to our Institute for National Affairs, the latest business survey indicates the greatest current barrier to doing business in PNG are foreign exchange shortages. Having to go begging to your bank for even basic payments to overseas customers makes it really hard to grow your business or just keep afloat. Additionally, any business person who currently invests in this country cannot take any profits out. People would simply not invest in PNG at the level we want if people can't get their money back out. An APEC meeting does not deal with this fundamental barrier to investment. Decisions on investment must also be realistic about other barriers to do business in PNG. <clears throat> There's a need to sit down with the business community and identify the highest priority five things, for example, that can be done to start improving business conditions. Sometimes these changes will simply be about making better regulations. Some actions will require longer-term planning, such as building our police force up to the average per capita size of other countries and undertaking a major infrastructure program that uses good money, not bad money. A sad fact is that in 2017, lending to the private sector actually fell by 3.4%. So a decline of around 8% after allowing for inflation of 4.7%. Turning this around can include specific actions. However, fundamentally, this is about trust. We need to rebuild trust. Trust that the government procurement system will not be manipulated to serve the interests of besties. Trust that if one has a business contract, the payments will be made. Trust that power and water will be available at reasonable prices. Trust that foreign exchange is freely convertible. 
Trust the taxes won't suddenly be increased to unreasonable levels. People have lost trust in this government. This conference will certainly cover the ongoing foreign exchange crisis in later presentations. Suffice to say that 70% of PNG business CEOs regard it as the greatest barrier to doing business in PNG today. This is the crisis that was most avoidable. Why on earth did BNG, the Bank of Papua New Guinea, move away from a fully convertible currency in June 2014? While easily avoidable then, nearly four years later, it is now much harder to fix. Once again, the alternative government has a set of policies to correct the problem. Some short term, some longer term. These are set out in this slide. For example, there is scope to immediately release 50 million US dollars per month out of our foreign exchange reserves as we transition back to a more fair value exchange rate over the next 12 months. We need to review our Central Bank Act as clearly it has not served us well enough over the last six years. As reflected by foreign exchange shortages, lack of growth in private sector credit, and declining central bank independence. Reflected by its printing of money to fund the deficit through what we call the slack arrangement. We need to reshape our economy so that it's more growth oriented and more open and truly willing to engage in international trade. Of course, in line with APEC goals. Our vision is PNG filling the supermarket shelves of Asia with PNG produce, not just the shelves of Kaborsi. Almost every day when we wake up, there is a further sign of this country's budget and cash crisis. Teachers not being paid, shortages of medicines, contractors not being paid, departments being locked out due to non-payment of rent, TFF payments running months and months late. It just continues. We hear it every day. PNG is facing a massive cash crisis. One that has been going on for years and one that has been going on for far too long. The underlying cause is, of course, poor budget policy. PNG has had its largest set of budget deficits in its history over the last six years. This has inevitably increased debt massively, as I mentioned earlier, $8 billion in 2012 to over $24 billion in 2017. It has also increased interest costs from under $400 million per annum in 2012 to over $1,600 million, that's $1.6 billion in 2017. And that is only the debt we know about. We know that more debt is hidden in state-owned enterprises 
And there are other unfunded liabilities, such as superannuation for our public servants. It's really a massive problem. Unfortunately, the solution here is made more complicated. Because the budget numbers have become increasingly untrustworthy. As some of you may know, the alternative government considers the 2018 budget built on unrealistic revenue projections. That is why we claim, well, it's a fake budget. The detailed reasons for this are set out in my 2018 budget reply speech. The more recent final budget outcome statement is also a big concern. Politically, it is simply too convenient to meet a detailed number such as 2.5% budget deficit within 0.1%. Enough now. Enough now. Laka? I know that the treasurer, my colleague, would simply claim good management. But I know that there are big games that can be played in a cash-based budget by simply delaying paying for expenditure, delaying tax refunds, and deciding not to pay for some important things such as, well, superannuation and education. They're simple tricks every business person can tell you about. It's a real worry, a real worry. We also need to be spending funds effectively, accountably, and on the right things. This slide shows some extraordinary cuts in health, education, infrastructure spending, and law and justice since 2015 which are undermining key investments in our country's future. Although the 2018 budget claimed it will restore some health funding, it is most likely to lack the revenue to do so. Instead, we have seen massive increases in pay for public servants and a massive increase in interest costs, as I touched on earlier. These are not priority areas. No, they're not. They represent ultimately serious economic mismanagement. There's also been a major increase in district support programs. You know, those funds for members of parliament. We spend it so wisely. <laughs> I'm told here by my opposition leader that I am a supporter of such programs. I believe that these funds can be spent well and more in line with local needs here, especially given the demonstrated failure at the national level. However, there must be good management of these funds and much, much better accountability on how these funds are used. I personally think Position leader, take it easy. I personally think 
it's time for a review of the district support improvement program and funds. I do not want to be too political today. I do, however, encourage students to read the detailed policies that we in the alternative government is proposing to deal with our jobs and growth crisis, our foreign exchange crisis and our budget crisis. We have more detail, and these are provided, as I mentioned earlier, in my very extensive budget response speech. Uh, you can also get more detail uh, on government policies, which is provided on our alternative government website. That's when it doesn't go offline, Mr. Borrelia. <laughs> so in conclusion, everyone, there is no magic wand. Our problems are deep, very deep, and they have been building up and distorting incentive for years. Taking an even longer perspective, PNG started on a development path that has, for too long, put too much hope on the resource sector of some grand projects, such as, well, maybe me. We need a better development path, one that puts the emphasis back on inclusive development and our people. We need to escape from the resource curse. This means we must do much more for our agriculture sector, including our subsistence agriculture sector. This will require better policies than the current economic mismanagement. It will also need more local leaders and honest leaders, genuinely interested in the wider well-being of our people. It will require more economists and other professions that can be trained and that learn to speak out. Such people are in this room today. You are our future. All of you are our future. May you study hard and well and bring a passion for making a better PNG. Before I sit down, I extend an invitation. When you're visiting KBN next, perhaps in your next break, send me a text and maybe join us for a swim <laughs> at beautiful Lewis Island. It was nice coming back here today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Honorable Young Stucky, the Shadow Treasurer. Wonderful presentation. Uh, before we invite the next team, uh, there are a quick thing. I mean, these presentations will be available in the uh, Development Policy website, and uh, we will communicate with you, provided if you give your email ID. Please give your email ID with the registration counter, and we will communicate once it's uploaded into the website. Okay. Yeah. Now, uh, so far we have listened to the, I mean, uh, opposition, I mean, uh, sh shadow treasurer. Uh, before I proceed, 
let's let's acknowledge the presence of the opposition leader. My apology, I failed to recognize. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, we'll invite the next team, uh, Professor Stephen House, Mr. Rohan Fox, Mr. Nelson Neymar, Mr. Dick Sum, Dr. Bob Nguyen. They'll be making a presentation on PNG Economic Survey 2017 to 2018. Okay, let's, let's, welcome, let's welcome Mr. Nelson uh, Atip Neymar. Thank you, Professor Pillai. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Nelson S. E. Vincent. Uh, just uh, one quick clarification. Uh, we, are, we are not our opposition. <laughs> uh, of course, we are sharing the session together with the opposition, so we are just an independent research group. <laughs> and of course, some of our uh, presentation would be very similar to them, that, but that doesn't mean that we have sat down together and uh, discussed things. <laughs> So uh, this is the fifth in our series of annual economic surveys where the ANU and the UPNG economists uh, we come together to provide independent expert analysis of the PNG economy. Uh, of course, we do a lot of research uh, for the survey, but we also do a number of interviews uh, with business and policy advisors to uh, inform our analysis. Uh, to give you a an idea of our uh, survey this year, uh, let's start with the conclusion uh, and then here are the key messages that we have. Uh, firstly, we argue for a focus on the non-resource economy. That is where our, nearly all Papua New Guineans work. And secondly, we unfortunately the resource economy has not been uh, doing well uh, with sluggish or even negative growth. Third, this is a uh, resulting in the loss of jobs and poor service delivery. Uh, fourthly, the main drag on this growth is the shortage of uh, foreign uh, exchange, as we have uh, heard from our previous speaker. And fifthly, and finally, uh, to stim stimulate the growth, we, which needs to be the government's top priority, uh, it needs to depreciate the exchange rate, which is the only way to address the foreign exchange uh, shortages. Uh, this slide shows the structure of the paper, and I'll be presenting on the section on the economic growth. Uh, my colleague, Rowan Fox, will be presenting on the next section on uh, fiscal trends and macro policy. And uh, Professor Stephen Awos will be presenting the final section on uh, private sector policies perspectives, and then he will be concluding. So let's go on with the economic growth uh, story. Uh, this is our first slide, and it is uh, quite technical, as you can see, but it is an important slide. What has happened is that the uh, National Statistics Office has just released their data for GDP for 2015, which is, which is uh, quite a while, while ago. But before then, only Treasury 
uh, estimated GDP growth from 2015, and its estimate was about 10.5%. And now the NSO has come along and said, in fact, uh, growth is, was only 5.3% in 2015, which is very interesting. So our question is, uh, what does this mean for the non-resource economy? That is the economy outside of the big resource projects. Uh, as we've said, that is the part of the economy that really matters for PNG citizens since most of the resource sector is foreign-owned. And of course, the resource sector also uh, matters, but its main contribution is its impact on the non-resource sector since this is where most uh, Papua New Guineans they work. So the NSO uh, hasn't released uh, sectoral data. We only have that from the Treasury. Uh, but we know that there was strong resource GDP growth in 2015 because of the LNG project. And we assume that the Treasury estimate of 48.3% uh, that you can see is correct. Uh, that's because resource GDP is very easy to measure because it, it is just a few uh, big projects. So if we make that assumption, we can then estimate non-resource GDP growth as a residual uh, and we can get negative uh, 5.9%, which is the number cycle in red, as you can see. So the new uh, NSO data is in fact uh, suggesting a non-resource recession in 2015, which is what we at early agreed to for based on data such as tax and imports in our previous paper, uh, presentation in last year, 2017. Now, since uh, 2015, the Treasury data uh, shows positive but low uh, growth for GDP, but this may be adjusted again by NSO, so we need to look at uh, other indicators to uh, tell the story, okay. The formal employment, uh, first of all, we look at the jobs. In the formal sector, employment has fallen even since, uh, as indicated, is since 2013, in 14, 15, 16, and 17, uh, by a total of 7%. This tells us that the economy has never recovered from the ending of the PNG, LNG uh, construction. Uh, let's look at uh, the, uh, another indicator, which is the taxes. Uh, we can also look at the main economy-wide taxes, uh, such as the income tax. Uh, here you can see that there, is, there was another fall in uh, 2016, but these taxes are stabilized in uh, 2017, which, is, which may be a good uh, news for the economy. Uh, let's keep on looking at another indicator, which is the trade sector. So we can also look at the exports and the imports. The exports have uh, continued to grow, uh, uh, reflecting uh, resource, successful resource projects, uh, which of course you know that is mostly a foreign home. Now, but, if, but imports have lagged far behind. Uh, falling each year from 2013 to in, in 2016, but then stabilizing in uh, 2017. 
let's look at the other indicator, which is the uh, private sector credit. Uh, finally, we can look at the credit to the uh, private sector. Uh, this has grown in the past, but shows a uh, decline in 2017, which is a worrying indicator. So, uh, to summarize and, out, uh, and briefly discuss the growth outlook, outlook uh, if we focus on the non-resource economy, we can see a negative growth in 2015 and probably in 2016. There may have been a modest recovery uh, since then. As a way forward or going forward, there will be a, a mild boost in the economy this year from the APEC meeting, but uh, business is not very uh, positive in the short term, uh, including the business that we have interviewed in Lay, uh, they have mentioned the same uh, sentiments. The government itself is only projecting low economic growth in the coming years at the, about the rate of the population growth. Uh, there is hope that uh, new resource projects will deliver growth, but there is considerable uncertainty about the timing of these new projects uh, and, the, and the economy can afford to wait for them. So uh, they do not open uh, new resource projects, they do not happen over time and then you suddenly you see influx of foreign reserves. So, uh, I will leave on uh, the next section to be presented by uh, my uh, next colleague, uh, Mr. Rowan Fox. Thank you. Uh, good morning, all get up. Um, thank you for having me. It is uh, yeah, an honor to speak uh, here again. Uh, in front of all of you. So I'll be speaking about the uh, fiscal and macro uh, section. And so fiscal, the government expenditure and revenue, macro, the big picture of the economy. And one of the most important developments recently on the fiscal and macro side has been the ratings of the credit agencies, which um, Mr. Linkstucky talked about earlier. Uh, these Reflection, uh, ratings reflect perceptions on uh, sovereign economic risk. Uh, in April, Standard & Poor's downgraded P&G from uh, B plus to B. Moody's did the same downgrade two years earlier and this year downgraded the outlook from stable to negative. And what these downgrades reflect is P&G's ongoing fiscal and macro difficulties, uh, which I'll discuss in these following slides. Having a look at government revenue, and this is what uh, Charles Abel was speaking about earlier. Um, last year saw positive growth after two years of decline. However, revenue is still below 2015 uh, and is about where it was way back in 2006. In terms of explaining this, uh, one factor is the recession in the non-resource sector. Um, but another is the very low level of resource revenue, which is at, at its lowest level since 1992. And you can see how uh, volatile the resource sector revenue is. Um, one of uh, the reasons for this is that new projects are not paying tax yet due, due to uh, accelerated depreciation, uh, in the case of PNG LNG or a tax holiday in the case of Ramu Nico. Uh, 
But older projects are not paying much tax uh, either. And we were able to locate publicly available data on two uh, of the biggest mines in PNG, Okteri and Lehia, um, and report some results in the survey. Now, Okteri is paying tax, um, but the mine is much less profitable now than it was uh, six years ago or so due to its age. It's a much older mine than it was. Um, it's paying about half uh, the amount of tax that it was. Um, and the here doesn't pay tax uh, at all, despite being profitable. More research uh, is needed to understand why, uh, but clearly there's a case for re-examining the resource revenue tax regime prior to the approval of new, pro uh, new projects. Low revenue growth uh, means low expenditure growth. And in fact, expenditure growth has been negative in the last few years, uh, because in the last few years, the government has had to reduce the deficit. The deficit is still, though, very high, and there's large volume. Uh, a large volume of arrears. But the deficit has started to come down. Uh, it is very high still, though. Uh, debt has gone up sharply, both in absolute terms and as a proportion of revenue. So because of this, interest is rising, uh, and rising as a share of expenditure from 5% a few years ago to almost 15% now, and interest has to be spent out of uh, uh, expenditure, and so it's crowding out other forms of expenditure. So all these factors, low revenue, falling deficits, increasing interest, make for a troubling expenditure picture. This graph shows uh, that adjusting for inflation, both uh, expenditure and expenditure per person uh, are on a downward path and are way back to where they were about a decade ago. So turning to inflation, and there is better news, um, with inflation in PNG, which has been high by regional standards uh, in the last few years, now uh, falling. One reason for the low inflation has been a stable exchange rate. You can see from this graph that uh, the Kina has been fixed against the US dollar for the last two years. What really matters for the economy is not the exchange rate though, but the real exchange rate. Uh, and that is the exchange rate that is adjusted for inflation. This is what ultimately determines competitiveness and allows the economy to adjust to external shocks. And what you can see from this slide is that the real exchange rate has not fallen at all since the end of the boom. For a resource-dependent economy, such as the uh, PNG, the exchange rate should fluctuate with the terms of trade, but it hasn't in PNG. Uh, what this means is that the exchange rate is over, overvalued or underpriced, and this means that there's more demand for foreign exchange than the economy can supply. The government has tried to help the situation by running down foreign exchange reserves, uh, but as you can see now, it's not 
letting reserves go down any further. And so what this means is foreign exchange rationing. Uh, it's actually now very difficult to get hold of foreign exchange, uh, and we'll see in the next section that businesses list this as their number one concern. Now we saw that uh, before that exports were booming, so why then is there a foreign exchange shortage? This should bring in uh, foreign currency. And this graph and the next one give the answer to that. There's a large current account surplus, so exports are a lot larger than imports, um, but this is matched by a large current, uh, capital account deficit. So those dollars are not available for imports because they are being sent offshore. And you can see from this graph that they are not being sent offshore as investments, but as profit repatriation, uh, whether as dividends or loan repayments. So what is the solution to this? The government can't stop the big resource companies uh, doing this because it, it's all written into the agreements. What needs to happen is more foreign exchange being earned by exporters outside of the resource sector, where more profits will come back to P&G and less demand for imports. So to summarise, the fixed nominal exchange rate is preventing the adjustment of the economy uh, to the end of the boom and forcing reliance on foreign exchange rationing. This is in turn slowing economic growth, which is weakening revenue and therefore expenditure. While the government has reduced the deficit, uh, arrears are increasing, uh, it has been less able to pay for salaries and rent on time, and the credit downgrades are a reflection of the perception of increased risk. So the economy needs more growth to create more jobs and revenue and reduce risk. For this, we need the private sector, and this is the subject of the next section. So I'll just hand over to Stephen. Uh, thank you, Rowan, and good morning, everyone. And uh, before I give my section, I'd just also like to welcome you to the 2018 PNG update on behalf of the Australian National University. So in these surveys, we, we try to give the general update that you've just seen on the uh, economic growth and on fiscal and macro, and then we, we dive into a topic. And this year, the topic that we dive into is uh, on private sector. And we're looking at private sector policies and perspectives. Uh, so the government's had a number of uh, policies to promote private sector development, and if you hear a couple of years ago, you know, we were talking about the small and medium enterprise policy, but now the focus, that seems to have stalled somewhat, and the focus is on trade policy. So we're going to talk about uh, trade policy and tariffs. In fact, uh, you know, we've got some, had some major changes in the last year on PNG's trade policy. The countries had, prior to last year, uh, almost a 20-year program of tariff reduction. Uh, with uh, trade barriers being brought down uh, in, uh, in successive uh, reforms. So a lot of tariffs in PNG are zero. If they're not produced in the country, it's typically zero. But there are still over a 1,000 uh, line items of tariffs. 
and they've been uh, categorised into three groups, basically low, medium and high, or intermediate, protective and prohibitive. And you can see from this graph the, reduct the reductions over time in um, six or so uh, instalments, uh, but really quite significant, so that in 1999, uh, before 1999, the lowest tariff was 30%. Uh, by 2015, that was down to 10%. The uh, protective, the intermediate one, oh, sorry, the middle one was 49, now it's, then it was down to 15, and the highest one was in the 55 to 100 range, and that was brought down to 30. But last year, the government decided that was enough, and this tariff reform, tariff reduction program was put on hold. And so those tariff reductions were actually pre-legislated, right? so they had to be uh, reversed by legislation. And then in addition, another 250 tariff lines were increased. And this table here just gives you an idea of the uh, range of items for which the government uh, increased, increased the tariff. You know, most of the increases are in fact quite moderate. Right? They're only about, on average about 7%. So, you know, still tariffs are much lower than they were when the reform started. Uh, but there were some exceptions in particular, you know, you know about the milk tariff to support the uh, milk project uh, near Port Moresby. Uh, so were these tariff increases a good idea? Uh, you can look at it from different points of view. I think if you look at it from lessons of history, uh, some of the past efforts to promote industry behind a uh, tariff barrier, such as with Roma Sugar and Halas Cement, I think if you look back at those, they haven't been that successful, and you'll be hearing about some of our research on that uh, tomorrow. Uh, as um, Charles Lapani was saying, the whole point of APEC is actually to promote free trade. So I think the timing is, uh, is probably not, not very good. Uh, and, and the new system is more complex. So there used to be three uh, tariff three tariff categories, but with the increases, uh, that's gone up to six. And probably the result will be more lobbying, right, because businesses will realise that they can get more protection, uh, get a higher tariff if they lobby for it. At the same time, uh, I think it's true import competing industries are struggling, and so they certainly need uh, more government support and assistance. But, you know, they could equally benefit from an exchange rate depreciation. A tariff increase for an import competing industry is very similar to an exchange rate depreciation. And tariff increases don't help exporters. In fact, they, they harm uh, exporters. So just to look at things from the exporting point of view, we thought we'd uh, cover the tuna canning. You might have seen the news recently about a large layoff of workers in Lay. So what's going on in the tuna uh, canning industry? Last year, PNG announced that all tuna caught in PNG waters would need to be processed uh, in PNG right, in order to create jobs. That seems like a good idea, but the processes aren't very keen because the costs of doing business are much higher in PNG than in competitor countries, in particular the Philippines, which is PNG's major competitor for the EU, the major EU market. So despite the government offering a rebate, the tuna processing factories don't want to go down this road. And recently, one of the six tuna processors closed down, resulting in the loss of 800 jobs. Now, this is an ongoing bargaining. You know, we'll see how it plays out. But I think you know, the idea of tuna processing in PNG uh, is a good one in principle. Um, but if you want to make PNG more competitive, again, an exchange rate depreciation uh, is the way to do it. Tariff increases aren't going to help your tuna processors. In fact, they're going, to, they're going to harm them. All right, the final part of our survey is on uh, private sector perceptions. You know, it's often said that PNG is a data-poor environment. There's, it's not easy to get data. But at least when it comes to covering off the views of the private sector, We've actually got some rich data. 
And this year, two new surveys were released, so we thought it would be interesting to go back over the, the past, look at all these surveys, and, and look at what they can teach us. So we have surveys from the INA, Institute of National Affairs. They've done four surveys over 20 years. And then the Business Advantage, do they've only started more recently, but they do their surveys every year. So you get um, an idea of more recent changes. So what does business think? Just give you a small sample of some of the results. Uh, going back to the uh, early discussion by Nelson on growth, um, this looks at business um, understandings of what's happened, their own reflections. And this uh, line is an index of their performance against expectations. So if it's above zero, they're saying they perform better than they expected. And if it's below zero, they're saying they, their performance didn't live up to expectations. So you can see in the boom years in 2011 and 12, they were, they were all pleasantly surprised, right? Things were going so well. Uh, but in 2013, it started to level off. And then 2014 and 2015, those were the nasty years, right? The years of negative surprise uh, because of that uh, recession. And it's only the last couple of years that expectations and performance have come uh, into line again. In terms of what uh, business is worried about, both surveys ask businesses, um, you know, what are the top constraints to business? There's a list of some 10 or 15. So we just focus on the main uh, three or four for the business advantage. The, the top four that tend to come out in most years, not every year, but most years, are security, skill shortages, Utilities, telecoms, or infrastructure, uh, and then foreign exchange. So in 2012, the top concern was getting people with skills, right? This is during a boom time. Couldn't find people to do the jobs. Uh, then the second concern was um, security, and the third was infrastructure. And that was pretty similar in 2013. But by 2014, you can see foreign exchange starting to enter as a concern at number three. In 2015, it's number four. But in 26 by 2016, it had gone to top position, right? and it stayed in top position with sort of increasing concern uh, for business. So for the last three years, that has been their number one concern, is just getting hold of foreign exchange. And if we look at the INA survey, you get a similar picture, but over a longer time period. So here I'll just look at the top three constraints each year. In 2002, uh, that was also a period of uh, recession. Uh, the top concern was law and order, then exchange rates, and then political uncertainty. By 2007, the economy was doing well, the exchange, uh, exchange, foreign exchange was no longer an issue, and the top three concerns were law and order, corruption, and telecom. That was just before the Digicel entry, and by 2012, uh, telecom was no longer a top concern, instead it was transport, along with the typical ones of uh, law and order and corruption. And by 2017, foreign exchange access right, suddenly comes up into top place, and then corruption and the exchange rates. Right? So you can see again from this that you know, foreign exchange has really become a big concern of business, and it's displaced other traditional concerns such as corruption and, uh, and law and order. They're still important, but not as important. This is their number one focus. All right, well, what do we uh, conclude from this? I mean, I hope you find the data interesting, and it will all up be uh, up online soon, so I encourage you to have a look at it. Um, but as Rowan said, you know, the, sorry, as Nelson said, the top priority has to be to boost non-resource GDP per capita. This shows total GDP, total output per person, and you can see the, with the orange included, it, it goes up. But the orange is the resource output, and if we take that out, we don't see such a positive picture. Right? You see that uh, per person, uh, 
the non-resource output is about where it was uh, in 2010. So we're in danger of a lost, a lost decade. And I want to emphasise, you know, to, especially I know to our friends in the resource sector, we're not saying that the resource sector is not important. It's critically important. But with the high level of foreign ownership and the very low level of employment, the real benefit from the resource sector is the contribution it can make to the non-resource sector through government revenue and linkages with the broader economy. And I just want to underline this graph that uh, Nelson showed. You know, we really need to get employment growth happening again. You know, four years of uh, employment going backwards in the context of a growing population, you know, obviously... Um, that's, uh, that's not good for living standards and, and people's welfare. Um, so I think I've, um, I've said most of this. You know, it's the, that recession in 2015 and 16, and at best sluggish growth thereafter, that's leading to the loss of jobs, poor revenue, therefore poor service delivery. So how do we get growth going? Well, if you listen to business and also our own analysis, it is that shortage of foreign exchange. So if that's the diagnosis, what's the remedy, what's the solution? To stimulate growth, the government needs to depreciate the exchange rate, since this is the only way to address foreign exchange shortages. If you just take away the foreign exchange controls without devaluating the exchange rate, you're going to run out of foreign exchange reserves. You're going to have a balance of payments crisis. Now, this is not a new idea. In fact, if you've heard us before, you've probably heard us talk about this before. And it's not a very popular idea. I think it's one idea neither the government nor the opposition are very keen on. Maybe that just proves we are independent. <laughs> but you know what, what uh, we think is that if there was an alternative, it would have worked by now. You know, the government's been in the situation for four years trying to avoid a depreciation. And as you saw, that real exchange rate is at the high level of the boom uh, four years ago. So if there was another way around, uh, it would have worked by now. Uh, we admit this is not a panacea. It's not the only thing. Uh, PNG needs to do. There are many challenges. Um, and it will have costs, right? It's not an easy measure, and it will have an impact uh, on inflation. So there will be pain. But at this stage, there really is no alternative if you want to avoid uh, further job losses. Uh, and it will bring many benefits, right? especially to rural areas where most Papua New Guineans live, right? because they are the ones who are exporting coffee, and they're producing vegetables that can compete with uh, imported foods. Um, so we just want to close with a quote from the IMF. Now, I wouldn't say I always agree with the IMF, but I think in this case uh, they've kind of uh, summed up what we've been trying to argue, I guess now for a few years, in their last uh, Article 4 report, which is their annual report on the PNG economy. Uh, they wrote this, the main impediment to private sector development in PNG is macroeconomic policies. The main obstacle to business activity and investment uh, difficulties in obtaining foreign exchange. We recommend the Kina be allowed to depreciate to eliminate the current overvaluation of the currency and the foreign exchange shortage and promote external competitiveness. Uh, thank you very much, everyone. Thank you, all the speakers, our uh, honourable Ian. Link uh, Strecky, our Shadow Minister for Treasury and Finance, and Professor Steve Naus, Mr. Rohan Fox, Mr. Nelson Neymar, and uh, his team members, uh, Mr. Deck, and uh, Dr. Nugent. Let's give one uh, strong support.
You have been listening to a podcast from the Development Policy Centre. For more information on our work, visit our website at devpolicy.anu.edu.au. To join the conversation on Australian aid, Papua New Guinea, the Pacific and global development policy, visit our blog at devpolicy.org. At the blog, you can also sign up to our newsletter to get all the latest updates, or you can connect with us on social media. Thanks for listening.